Hello everyone, I'm Annie Gibbons and you're listening to Memoirs of Successful Women, the podcast where you get to hear candid conversations with fascinating women from around the globe who share aspects of their business and life journey, how they measure their success and what they have learnt along the way. Hello and welcome to Memoirs of Successful Women. Today, I have an absolute delight for you. I'm introducing you to Shelley Brunswick, the COO of Space Foundation. She brings a broad perspective and deep vision of the global space ecosystem. From a distinguished career as a space acquisition and program management leader and congressional liaison for the US Air Force, to her current role overseeing Space Foundation's three primary divisions, the Center for Innovation, and Education, Symposium 365, and Global Alliance. She's advocating for space technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, diversity, and inclusion, such important topics. And Shelley has been able to collaborate with organizations all around the world to connect commercial, government, and educational sectors. She's also been named the 2020 Diversity and Inclusion Officer and Role Model of the Year by Women Tech Network. So welcome to the program, Shelley. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to make sure to send you an extra holiday gift for that amazing intro. I'm going to take you everywhere I go. (laughs) Oh, well, I can't wait to come to America now that we've all been released post-COVID. So I might take you up on that one day. (laughs) Wonderful. No, that's what I love about this show, this podcast, just meeting amazing people from around the world. I never cease to be inspired, impressed, dazzled by just the breadth of woman, you know, the, the areas that we can dabble in. And I've certainly never had anyone on my show Um, with the background like you've had. So let's just launch into your role at the moment. I know you've got an active leadership role with United Nations Space for Women. You're okay. You're also in Women Tech Networks and other areas, but let's just start there. What do you actually do for those people who actually aren't aware what would Space for Women even mean? So the United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs has a program called Space for Women, and it's all part of the sustainable development goals for gender equality and equal education. So what we look at uh, for UNUSA, that's how I'm going to abbreviate UNUSA, <laughs> is how do we bring more women and girls into the space ecosystem? Mm-hmm. So I am a mentor for the program. So they have two programs. One is the formal mentoring, and then they have a more informal network. And for your list Listeners who are like, I might want to check this out. First of all, it is open to men and women. Mm-hmm. So you could go on Facebook, uh, UNUSA Space for Women, and you can participate via Facebook. There's a, a Slack channel as well. And you can talk about if you're doing activities in your country or you just want to start connecting with other women and men around the world who are looking at creating more opportunity. And then the program I primarily focus on is the formal mentoring. So at my role at Space Foundation, we do have that Center for Innovation and Education. Mm. And we are passionate about believing that when you find mentors, you can overcome many other roadblocks that might prevent you to come into the space ecosystem. So I practice what I preach. I say you should find a mentor. I say you should be a mentor. I've had wonderful mentors in my career. So this is part of my opportunity to give back. And the 
so far I have only had women, but it's open to men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, the women I have met through this program, both the other mentors around the world, as well as the protégés, it's fantastic. I've learned so much. I, I, every time I get a new protege, I'm like, oh, I learned so much from them. Um, some of them are in other industries. Some of them are entrepreneurs. Some of them um, are in different uh, technologies or they're, out, they're outside the space ecosystem. Although technically we'll talk about that more. Nobody is really outside the space ecosystem. And so it's just a great learning opportunity for me. And I love connecting many of, uh, I've had a couple protégés in the U.S., but many, the majority have been international, Pakistan, India, uh, Portugal, Italy, um, Africa, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking uh, Norway, so uh, Canada, uh, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma here in the U.S. So I've had some amazing uh, women I've met through this program, and uh, I learn I learn as much as I give. So that's a little bit about the U.N. Office of Outer Space Affairs and Women Tech Network is a wonderful organization as well. I'm on their advisory board and they have both informal programs, but they also do have a formal mentoring program. And again, don't be shied away if it says Women Tech Network. It's open to men and women. And I've, again, I have met and they've all been women so far, amazing women through this program. So I just share with your audience, if you're looking to be a mentor and you can be a mentor at any stage in your career, uh, college students can mentor high school students, but be a mentor, you get so much out of it. And for those of you who want to understand how to navigate life a little easier, I mean, that's your profession, uh, you know, a life coach, um, find a mentor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely find a mentor. I think it's an essential ingredient for everybody in every vocation of life at every different stage of life, right? Every stage of transition, doesn't matter where you're at, you know, try and find someone who's just done that journey before you and you won't do it exactly in their way. You'll pick up their tips and tricks and then other things won't resonate. And you'll say thanks for that. You know, it's the opportunity to just dive in and learn from them and then apply it to your context. I'm currently a, a mentor for uh, with a STEM program here in Australia and so I just find it's so much value you know when people are worried about reaching out and asking a mentor I tell you what the mentors just benefit so much as well because you just get to enjoy you know these new innovative projects the way young people are, are thinking and you know the ideas that they've got and the journey and the decisions they're going to make it's an absolute delight uh, to be a mentor so definitely mentors and mentees definitely seize this opportunity let's just take the listeners back then and and find out how does a, a a woman from the US how do you actually um, get into the area of space you know what has been your career journey and was it something that you always hoped were you one of those little girls who thought you know I'd love to just you know almost become an astronaut or <laughs> learn about the beyond well when we really think about it let's go back 40 years and think you know 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when you think about the space program, it really was just a couple countries, primarily male, primarily government. So you were in the military or a civil space agency. Yeah. So, and you were a STEM professional. So you can think about that. So when I uh, graduated high school, I enlisted in the US Air Force, that wasn't even a possibility of what I was thinking. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go through my life journey with you a little later, but so I enlisted in the Air Force. I went to school at night and I earned my bachelor's degree going to school at night. And then I applied to be an officer in the US Air Force. Mm -hmm. And that's 
when my journey in space began because the Air Force assigned me to be a space project manager. And so I did 12 years as HR, human relations for the Air Force, and then I became an officer. And then, wow, what is this new thing? And it's been an amazing journey ever since. And uh, I've loved it. I've learned all about, you know, initially, that was more than almost 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, not to tell you how old I am, but Again, I was in the Air Force, so somewhat a traditional route. You were looking at traditional activities. The government did it all, ground station, launch vehicles, satellites. That was kind of the space industry. Hmm. Now you're looking at the space industry. It's commercial. It's yeah. all sectors of the economy. It's primarily being driven by entrepreneurs, commercializing technologies, now you don't have to be a STEM professional. Um, we still need STEM professionals, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, but we also need media and fashion designers and project managers and entrepreneurs and technicians. So individuals with high school degree, high school graduates that become an intern or get a certificate all the way to PhD. So now it is truly democratized and there's opportunities for all. So technically, you're now a space journalist, a space mentor coach, because you've talked to me. So now you're part of the space <laughs> ecosystem. I'm going to adopt you. Oh, I feel like I've had a massive promotion just in a few sort of minutes. And I think that's incredible because I must admit, I've been one of those people think someone who works, you know, in the Space Foundation has to be like PhD level, total science geek, um, trained to be an astronaut. You don't think that there is, you know, a role for all of these different different people. So um, I think people who are fascinated by this area, I think that's a really enlightening uh, point already. I think it's also interesting, yes, because now I um, look at the commercial side. You know, you think of, you know, Richard Branson or Elon Musk or people, you know, paying money to go up in space. And it's kind of like, wow, anyone can go up in space these days if you've got a few million <laughs> or billion <laughs> uh, to, to, be, to be free. So that whole change of environment must be very stressful for government, actually, when they've had total control over this area and now it is actually branching out into the commercial sector what does that mean and, and I'm sure a lot of people must get quite stressed about that um, you know um, because you know we have to adapt and change right and if you don't um, then you then you um, you know we won't be meeting the needs of our current society right um, so what have been the barriers for women though, you know, so you've actually, you know, you've referenced that when you came in, you know, back in the day, probably similar to my day of, you know, everything was not suitable for women or probably not an opportunity for women, or even if you were in that, had that opportunity, you weren't therefore in government or in the right sector. What have been the big, biggest challenges that you've had to overcome that you're now um, have pioneered for other people to sort of have an easier ride, if you like, you know, they'll have their own challenges, but what have been your, your challenges? So again, as I came into the space ecosystem, so when I applied to be an officer in the US Air Force, my opportunity for being selected was only 12%, one, two. And that's because I do not have a STEM degree. I have a business degree, I have an MBA. And so back in that time, that was not a normal pathway for uh, space professionals. However, um, and I'll, and I'll tell you about that. I wasn't selected the first time, but I was selected the second time. And so there's always a life lesson in that. Yeah. Um, but I was selected uh, the second time. And you're like, wow, what is this new thing? I was I was unfamiliar and a little bit. What is this thing? Um, loved it. Embrace it. It was exciting. 
Um, but the other thing is, as you said, there were not a lot of women at that time. I never noticed it. Um, you know, as a military, I'd been in the military a number of years. So at this point, I was very seasoned. And so when somebody one day pointed out, do you, how, are you uncomfortable? You're like the only woman in the room. <laughs> yeah. You kind of go like this and you go, I never noticed it. I, I just thought we were all professionals. And so I think um, since I never noticed it, I, I, you know, you treat people as they are individuals. What I came to the table with was the project manager for a program. And I had multiple talented individuals that were also at the table and being able to listen and communicate and focus on the mission. So if you're in industry, you know, how do you accomplish the task? How do you take care of the customer in the military? How do you accomplish the mission? How do you take care of your team? So I always just focused on what are we trying to accomplish here? Not on uh, who's at the table, who's male or female, are you military or civilian or a contractor? You know, it's easy for us to put labels on people, but we yeah. really are all just people. And what we've learned, you know, over the last 30 years is that it's really good to bring diversity to the table. Mm. It's really good to bring multi-generational uh, regions of the world, male and female to the table because sometimes, and usually, and they've proven it, so it won't be sometimes, what they've proven through uh, reports is that you come up with better solutions. Yes. You also, for businesses, it increases your bottom line. So I'll just share that with you. I don't know if I had a challenging journey. I mean, I just had a journey. And what I hope is that those who are coming behind me, it's a much easier journey where mm -hmm. they don't sit and say, wow, did you know you're the only woman or only <laughs> yeah. African-American or only Hispanic? Or wow, you're the only person here from Africa or you're the only person here from Australia. You know, Australia has now a space agency. Mm. So I think we're coming to the table and there's far more diversity, not just men and women, uh, not just um, ethnicities, because that's, that's, that's a lot US ethnicities, mm. but regions of the world and generational, you know, we can look at uh, the US has an aging population. So how do we make sure that we're inviting the next generation to also sit at the table mm. who may have been raised um, in a very different mindset? You know, I was not raised where you sat oh. in front of a computer or you played a game or you, you know, I mean, I think I played Pong, you know, and Pac-Man. So yeah. it's very different. So the, the individuals graduating from high school and college have a very different skill set yeah. than those of us my era because we didn't have that constant um, entertainment factor I'll call it that constant engagement and so they're coming to the table with faster skills uh, sometimes more computer savvy skills technology skills different ways of thinking about it so as leaders invite diversity to the table so I will laugh though because when you div invite diversity to the table <laughs> sometimes you're not always thrilled with what diversity says and I don't mean that negative it's like you know somebody says something and they come at it from a different angle and you know you yeah. just have to sit back and I have to share that with other people you know it's easy to come to a quick solution when everybody thinks the same exactly so when you bring in somebody different you have to be willing to say I want to hear what you're saying I'm going to listen because I want you at the table and I want you to feel comfortable and I want you to say what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So I also share that it can be challenging 
to hear something in a different tone than what you may be used to. And, and I'm guilty of that as well. You know, so I always have to check myself and say, I need to make sure that I'm listening with those two ears and I only have one mouth. So make sure I'm listening twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because we can all have unconscious bias, right? You know, it's just it's just our default is, you know, we love the way we think. That's why we think that way, you know. And I know that those same those same principles work in boards that, you know, I work in, um, you know, that we're wanting board diversity for that same reason. That sometimes it's more challenging, yes, because you've got a lot of, you know, you've got you've got a lot more breadth of ideas, thinking concepts, but it actually makes it so much richer. And so once you play that out and you start encouraging it and supporting it which is why I think you know diversity has to lead to inclusion you can have a lot of diversity but if those voices are not heard if they're not included then you're just doing you know um you're just getting numbers on the board right it's easy for you to say oh now we've got a 50 50 women's split which would be amazing because <laughs> it's usually like five to 20 uh but if you are doing that it's about the you know having that diversity and also um inclusion and i love the way you you know referenced also that it's not just you know gender it's it's all of that's right it's all racial groups it's just it's the intergenerationalized things fantastic you know being a mum of five it never ceases to surprise me just how how different even you know gen wise to millennials to gen z think you know it's, it really is uh so encouraging once you tap into their mindsets and how they apply and, and gain knowledge gain and receive and um and unpack what they're learning uh it's yeah it is it's really important particularly when you're a mentor to actually you know see what you say and how they then um interpret that i think that is absolutely brilliant I think also it's interesting, um, and it was probably because you did have your route by the Air Force that you probably didn't really notice the gender bias. But I often, I think if you look back, you know, was there a women's bathroom, you know, for example? <laughs> you know, did, did you did you see pictures on the wall of women actually having these important roles, these executive roles? You know, I think this is an area that we will really know that we have changed um, things for women globally um, and also with gender. Um, other areas of diversity then when you are those little girls in school and you actually do see that speakers come in like you you know a woman who's been successful in this place you know that you'll see um footage in in movies and other other um, areas that um that will demonstrate women at these executive sort of roles or really achieving and that it's not actually an issue so while you didn't notice it so much i'm sure a lot of other people do uh and i think we've still got a lot of work to be done but it is so encouraging to hear from you today to to hear how we've actually come so far and I think we often do need to stop and pause and, and appreciate that uh, while we're always striving for total equality right um, exactly so those um women wanting to actually get into into space what is the what is the route that they should should travel what is their best route into this area or is it really that um you know just follow your own path and then come and join like you said before there's a role for everybody so there really is a role and what i share with people is uh your path into space could be very different so again i have a business degree but we also look at spacex and blue origin hired fashion designers right you're not seeing those orange spacesuits from nasa going up in the SpaceX or Blue Origin, mm -hmm. you know, I believe um, Under Armour is the 
uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX has a fashion designer for their nice white suits. So even for fashion designers, you can think about it. Wow, who would have thought 30 years ago? Um, healthcare, you know, when we're thinking about all the diseases that could impact us here on Earth, they also happen in outer space. You know, cancer happens much faster because uh, you're not protected by the Earth's atmosphere. You're not protected from that radiation. We're also not designed as human beings to live in microgravity environment. So it causes some challenges. Uh, women develop osteoporosis much faster. Men have eye problems. You can have hearing problems. You have muscle loss. So as we look to solve those challenges for going on to, to the moon and Mars and beyond, we can solve them here on Earth. And there's already some great technology. You know mammogram technology, cataract surgery, hearing, uh, the cochlear implants, so much has come from space technology. So if you're passionate about healthcare, you could look at commercializing that healthcare technology or working on a team for NASA or a company that's trying to mitigate living in microgravity environment. Or if you're passionate about uh, cybersecurity or artificial intelligence or robotics, um, you have an opportunity to be part of the space ecosystem. So what I'll share with you is there are 16 different sectors that are part of the space ecosystem. Wow. Only one of them says space. <laughs> the others are agriculture, healthcare, uh, education, finance, the internet of things, transportation, communications, and, and obviously I can name them all for you. So what I share with your audience, especially since it's global, yeah. they may not have a space ecosystem like the U.S. or China or Russia or Europe or the United uh, UAE Space Agency, but they may be very passionate about agriculture, which is a large part of uh, ecosystems around the world. And there's space technology that can be applied for agriculture. What we've learned mm -hmm. by using space technology called precision agriculture, we can increase crop yields by 10%. Well, for a farmer, one, that's more money in your pocket, less seeds. You can also use space technology to determine, do I need to water or not water? Mm -hmm. does, this, does this sector have pests? Do I need to eradicate for um, pest control or not? So you can use that space technology to do things in a very different manner that's far more efficient, that can help you make more money, but also we need to create more food on planet Earth for the growing population. So the ways we've done food production uh, for the last centuries is not sustainable. So yeah. we have to really look at what are some different methods. So we can look at precision agriculture. We can also look at how are we going to grow food on Mars? How are we going to create protein supplements on Mars? We're not going to fly cows there. So you can see many of these companies like uh, Beyond Meat and um, uh, plant-based proteins. We're doing those on planet Earth, but we can also take that um, off-world as well. And so by vice versa, or better management of our resources. So I, I'm going down the rabbit hole a oh, little bit, but what I'm, I'm sharing laughing. with your audience is... <laughs> There's so many wonderful opportunities for someone to be passionate about agriculture or look at all our entire financial system mm. runs on space and cyber technology. Yeah. It's running off those GPS satellites. Every time somebody in your audience goes and uses an ATM or swipes their credit card, it is getting a date timestamp from those GPS satellites. And that's how we're tracking things. But you can also look at cryptocurrency you know that is all running 
on space and cyber technology with blockchain? How are we gonna pay people on Mars? I mean, do we do all our payments? You know, very rarely do we pull out, uh, you know, cash, real money. Most of the yeah. times it's a credit card. How many of us really use checks anymore? I mean, what is a check, right? Some exactly. people are probably like, I've never heard of that. Um, you know, I remember balancing my checkbook the old fashioned way. I'm, I'm sure there's people in your audience group who are like, what, what is that? What is a check? <laughs> so transportation, you know, we look at these uh, ship cargos that are coming to the U.S. that are backing up. They're coming using GPS technology. Airplanes are using GPS technology. So our transportation system of how things get around is using space technology. You're looking at autonomous vehicles. So it used to just be drones in the air, but you have underwater drones. Now you're looking at uh, driverless vehicles, you know, for uh, the trucking industry. That's all going to run on space and cyber technology. And so what I'm sharing with your audience is follow your passion. Mm. You could work for a government, you could work in academia, you could go work for a big company that's already in the space industry, you could go work at a startup. So your opportunities, no matter what your skill set is exciting. So I just came back from Dubai Expo last month, I was there for Space Week. Yeah. And I had somebody come up to me and say, I have a finance degree, can I be in the space industry? And I'm like, Absolutely. Yeah. Space Foundation. I got a chief financial officer. NASA hires financial managers. So yes, you can be in the space industry. So I'm sharing with your audience, the sky is no longer the limit. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. You have seriously blown my mind. It's like everybody can work um, in the space industry. And I think there's so many, particularly young people coming through who are, who really, you know, they're very innovative. They're wanting to do things for the planet. They're wanting to be more efficient, more effective, you know, save money, save the environment. There's so many aspects that you've even just referred to that there would be a place for them there. And I love the fact that we often don't think about that. You know, we don't think of the day-to-day -day technology that we use particularly satellites and things of being you know obviously part of that whole whole realm we just don't don't even consider how it all works and how much we actually rely on it and how important it is because if you're looking at um, attacks to world order it's certainly in the cyber sector right um, so I think we do need to be very con concerned there you've mentioned a couple of times living on Mars is this a reality for us and how far away is this well, I'm not sure it's a reality in the near term, and, and I'll say in the next 10, 15, 20 years. I do believe, you know, we're already on Mars. We're already started that Mars process, and we've done it with robots, right? Everybody, you know, we've sent those rovers there, Perseverance. Uh, you know, the UAE sent a satellite, you know, they've got hope. So we already are doing it. Uh, and the first way we're colonizing it is with robots and we're getting information in it, sending it back through satellite relays and communications and space and cyber technology. And we're going to learn from that. And then are we going to eventually do we send things to help 3D print habitats? And there are experts who are thinking about what does Mars architecture look like, right? You know, what does that architecture look like yeah. on Mars? And we're looking at how are we going to grow food and how are we going to get it there and how are we going to do healthcare. So we are making strides and you can see, you know, everyone talks about Elon Musk, you know, he has said he wants to die on Mars, just ah. not on impact. <laughs> 
So I think um, where we used to be 40, 50 years ago, a government-driven desire to, to pursue outer space, I think the government is still there, but I see commercial as the driver now. Mm. I see commercial opportunities leading the pathway to get us uh, back to the moon, you know, forward to the moon. And there's lots of great things going on when we go back to the moon and then on to Mars and beyond. And what do we learn? And the commercialization opportunities, again, um, as you're thinking about, well, if I can build habitats on Mars for human beings, I could build those habitats here on planet Earth. You're in Australia, you have desert environments, the US has desert environments, the Middle East. So those type of habitats could be very valuable here on planet Earth too, to look at regions where maybe we aren't inhabiting the planet because of harsh, austere living environments. Mm. Um, so we can look at that. And again, how are we going to grow that food there then? Uh, we're not going to bring a bunch of cows out to the desert um, and cattle, but can we grow foods and hydroponics? How are we going to cultivate that? So we can look at different methods. How are we going to recycle our water? You know, everything on the International Space Station is recycled. So I'm not going to go into the details about where all the water comes from. I'm yeah. just going to say, it's recycled. <laughs> so how do we, as human beings, you know, here on planet Earth, we haven't thought about that we have a limited supply of clean water, but we know many parts of the world uh, do not have clean water. So mm. how do we help create clean water for Mars? But we can also then, how do we do that on planet Earth? How do we do filtration systems? Okay. And what I'll share with your audience, for those of you who are out there going, I want to learn more. Maybe I want to be an entrepreneur. NASA and the European Space Agency have thousands of space patents that are waiting to be commercialized. So some of those are water filtration, agriculture, energy, energy storage solutions, healthcare. So for individuals in your audience who are entrepreneurial focused and maybe you don't have your own idea yet, you could go check out those websites, NASA Tech Transfer Office, European Space Agency Tech Transfer Office, look at the patents they have and anyone can apply for those now that doesn't mean they'll award it to you uh, it could be national security or other things but you could certainly look at it and potentially apply for that patent and look to commercialize it if you're a u.s citizen through nasa you can actually apply for a grant to help you look at commercializing that technology so for your audience who are like i want to check out this entrepreneurial thing let me learn more about this there's great opportunities and for those of you who are like i'm not sure i want to be an entrepreneur but i'm really interested in some of these areas there are great companies out there, startup companies yeah. that are looking for your skill set. Think about SpaceX. You know, we all think about them now. But think about 20 years ago, employee, you know, we know employee one was Elon Musk, but think about employee five or employee 10 hmm. or employee 15 who started way back then and see what they built. You could be that employee five hmm. for an amazing startup that not only helps us go onto the moon and Mars, but helps us right here on planet Earth. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's breathtaking just listening to you. <laughs> Seriously, Shelley, I think everyone's going to be minds boggling thinking now. I, I think that's wonderful because that so many people just go, yeah, I don't know my idea. You're saying there's so many ideas that have already been been made. They're just there for the taking. You know, obviously you have to be equipped and qualified and, and be able to develop, you know, how you would make that happen. But I Think that is just so brilliant one thing i'm already thinking of yeah just the effects while you've got people sort of obviously 
um, working on the innovation and technologies for space, uh, the value of these technologies. You know, here in Australia, we've got, you know, 25 million people, but we're all coastal because we have this massive slab of, of land that we just go, oh, well, no one, no one could live there. Well, how much will, will our country change when suddenly, yes, you know, you have these new technologies for new, you know, what you can grow, how you can um, have clean water, how you can just farm differently. I think that is just so brilliant that there's so many technologies that you would be um, utilising within your own country, not just Australia, certainly a lot of Africa and, and, um, and the Middle East, you know, areas that are yeah, so dry and arid. Uh, which basically just need a, a new new realm of thinking, which costs money, which is why that commercial aspect is so important because it is going to be driving things for a different purpose, but will also therefore be able to um, commercialise the other opportunities to come back. Um, is there a risk with the, um, the significant um, investment by a few commercial partners or players? Is that a risk to the world when you've got you know, a few people sort of dominating space, if you like. So I think we only think there's a few dominating people because we hear about them in the news all the time, right? Yeah. We hear about Elon Musk, we hear about Jeff Bezos, but you know, space tourism is a very small piece of the space ecosystem. So let me share with you, the global space economy in 2020, according to Space Foundation, our annual space report that publishes that number and we just did in July was 447 billion dollars mm -hmm. and of that 447 billion dollars 80 percent is commercial so it's products and services that is not launch vehicles for space tourism that is such a small amount right now mm -hmm. it's really satellites it's telecommunications it's how we're talking right now with zoom um, it's really a it's really different products and services so that is a small part and and the bigger part that i want to share with your audience is it's 447 billion dollars in 2020 but many analysts predict that by 2030 it's over a trillion some people say it could be 1.5 trillion hmm. by 2040 you're over three trillion. And again, it's in all that technology I shared. It's data analytics and healthcare, quantum computing, cyber, artificial intelligence, robotics. So it's really all technologies. And so there's gonna be exponential growth. So that's why I share with your audience, where is your passion? Not all pathways require a PhD, hmm. some will. Some pathways might be we learned during COVID how important our supply chains are, how important manufacturing is, not just manufacturing offshore, as they call it, outside your country, but actually having some manufacturing in your country to provide stable supply chains, to provide stability um, in uncertain times. I mean, the pandemic definitely um, highlighted that, although just in time supply chains was really great on paper when the world worked perfectly. Yes. What, what we've learned is that it's not a perfect solution when an unforeseen event takes place like a pandemic and COVID will probably have uh, some ramifications for many years to come. So what I share with you is we're learning, you know, manufacturing. And again, in the US, you could get a certificate in manufacturing from a community college. You could do that while you're still in high school. You can walk into a great paying job. Mm. Um, so that's high school graduate to PhD, all career fields 
really. We looked at how impacted the aerospace and space sector was due to COVID because their supply chains were stressed. You know, how many suppliers were in trouble? Many suppliers, maybe small or medium-sized businesses. And so it's really important to understand the importance of the supply chain. And we've really, um, our country has, I know Australia has, really looked at how do we make sure we help suppliers stay in business? And the US did it through a thing called the PPP. Um, it was a, a loan that was provided and then forgiven almost as a grant, but it allowed small and medium-sized companies that were impacted by COVID to stay in business, to keep their payroll going until we could get through COVID. So um, I, I will share one more story about COVID because we learned about supply chains and how that impacts the space ecosystem. But we also, um, at Space Foundation, we highlight space technology that benefits life on Earth. And in 2020, we inducted three technologies that allowed 2020's pandemic to be different than the pandemic of 1918. Mm -hmm. And that was telecommunications, telehealth, and teleconferencing. All of those came from space technology. Mm -hmm. Imagine what the 2020 pandemic would have been like if children could not have homeschooled, if we could have not worked from home. And again, I know we had frontline workers in stores, uh, filling shelves, frontline, you know, ambulance and uh, healthcare workers. And there were individuals who had to be frontline, but many individuals were also able to work from home mm -hmm. because of that space technology. Children were allowed to work, to do their homework from home. And we can debate did we lose a year in education? That's another story, but that technology allowed the pandemic of 2020 to be very different than 1918. Mm. Oh, 100%, 100%. We cannot even imagine the effects that it would be if we couldn't have homeschooled our, our kids. We couldn't have continued meeting. You know, I, I actually found, although we thought, you know, bringing, bringing businesses off site, which we thought was impossible, suddenly within, you know, a few weeks, you know, I certainly brought all of mine off site. And now we're actually now going, well, how many days will we go back into the office? We've got this whole new normal because we do. We just now um, talk on, on Zoom or Teams or whatever. It, um, and so there's a massive difference that we, um, although people like to think of the, the cost and yes, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect situation and there's certainly been challenges, um, definitely socioeconomic challenges with, you know, kids accessing computers and technologies during that time. But still, you know, considering uh, it's certainly not um, as bad as it could have been by far, you know. So we need to, once again, value uh, these technologies, which constantly are improving. You know, it's amazing. There's new updates happening all the time that we just say thank you for. But we know that there's an entire infrastructure behind there going, okay, well, this is the next level. This is the next level. And then we get to reap the benefits of that. So fantastic. So what's what's next for you, uh, Shelley, as a, uh, this podcast is called Memoirs of Successful Women. You're, you're an incredibly successful woman. Uh, what does success mean for you and what areas, you know, this stage of your career, you know, how do you see it progressing? Is it more on giving back? Is it more in that mentoring role? Is it more just things that you've always been fascinated on about that you could then sort of probably just, you know, um, do a bit of a pivot in towards? What does the future look like for you? Well, that's a great question. And I, and I look at it that I, you know, having served in the military for 30 years, um, 
I'm really about being a servant leader. How do I give back? And that's why I work at Space Foundation. You know, Space Foundation is a U.S. nonprofit. We do business internationally. You talked about our three divisions. You know, we have Symposium 365, which is your trusted source for information. We have Global Alliance, which is partnerships. And then we have our Center for Innovation and Education. And that's all about lifelong learning for workforce development and economic opportunities. So just what we talked about. I'm passionate about our Center for Innovation and Education. Um, as I said, I was just in Dubai. I spoke in Doha. Next month, I'll be speaking at a conference in Egypt. For me, uh, the global space economy, as I just shared with you, there's lots of opportunity, but there's also some challenges, mm -hmm. right? Technology is changing quickly. Jobs are going to change new jobs are going to be created, some jobs are going to go away. We also saw during COVID, you know, uh, women kind of took some steps back. Uh, many of them left the workforce. They had to take care of children at home and other things. And so we saw women took a step back during the pandemic in um, their place in the, in the workforce. But I also look at it around the globe. When you think about that space ecosystem and what the U.S. did, by the Apollo program. You know, many people said, why did we invest in that? Yes, it was a political race between the US and Russia. Mm -hmm. But when we now look at those thousands of patents at NASA and the technology we use every day, are you aware firefighters are wearing materials that fire retardant clothing that came from the Apollo era? When we go to buy a crib for our children, it's because of fire retardant clothing that came from the space industry. It's formulated food that we created for the space industry. It's inflatable rafts that we created for the space industry. So what we're seeing is, and other countries are seeing this, is that the US had a technology advantage by investing in mm. space technology. So you don't know what the benefits will be when you're investing that, I'll call it that seed money, yeah. you're investing in the technology, but the dividends, GPS alone, look, yeah. we are completely dependent on GPS. Think about Uber, mm. Airbnb, um, you know, I, I was in Dubai, there's all kinds, Kareem, you know, there's mm. all kinds of uh, apps now that could not exist mm -hmm. without GPS or cybersecurity. And those CEOs probably have no idea, you know, when they're creating their app, wow, I'm so grateful for that free GPS that the U.S. government paid for, yeah. right? Because the U.S. government invested in GPS initially as a military, then it became military and civilian. And now, you know, it's even more civilian and a small sector is still military. Mm -hmm. Think about all our airplanes. Think about that shipping. Think about uh, protecting animals in Africa. You know, they're, they have GPS collars on so they can check for poachers. Yeah. Think about the sensors of the drones that are protecting those, that wildlife from poachers. Uh, we don't even think about all that technology. So what I'm sharing with you is, I really want to be an advocate, just like I am on your show. The Space Foundation, through our Center of Innovation, has a workforce development roadmap. It's awareness, access, training, connecting, and mentoring. The first step is everyone has to be aware that there's an opportunity for them. Underrepresented groups, rural communities, inner city, women, African-Americans, Hispanics, Africans, South Americans, um, you know, Canadians, they're, they're part of the good system. Um, how do we make sure that no one on planet Earth 
is going to get left behind by this technology. Mm -hmm. So the first step is I want to be out there uh, making people aware. Then they have to have an access point. How do they come into the space ecosystem? So I shared with you, NASA, NISA have websites. You could become an entrepreneur. You could get a certificate. So what's an access point? Because when you think about the space ecosystem, most people are intimidated like, oh, that's not for me. Yeah. They've already predetermined that that's not for them. So we've got to break down that barrier, provide them an access point. Mm. Then they probably need some training whether it's an internship, a certificate, or a PhD, somewhere in between. Then this is the part you and I can collaborate on, uh, networking. Hmm. It's so important to build your network with organizations that you share commonalities. So there are some great ones I shared with you. You said UNUSA, you know, the United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs, Space for Women. There's a Women Tech Network. There's Women in Aerospace. Um, there's Space Generation Advisory Council. There's Toad Air. So there's, and these are global groups. So yeah. your listeners could be somewhere. They could Google these. They could find them. They could find a way to start finding other individuals that might share their passion. And then as we talked at the beginning of the show, find a mentor. When you mm -hmm. can find a mentor, many times they can help you overcome those other challenges. So I, I that's my long Long answer to a short question of, mm. it's really about, I see the future, there are great opportunities, but we need to make sure that everyone on planet earth benefits from mm. space technology. Mm. Beautifully summarized. And I think that's so wonderful for the listeners to actually go, yeah, pretty much everything starts with awareness and then action and then having opportunities to connect and to grow and to lean into people who are actually there to support you they're happy to help you find your path you know but definitely find a coach a mentor join these groups you know free groups things are available for you to access you know there aren't the barriers sometimes we we put our own barriers on ourselves. we think it's going to be so difficult and the reality is no you know immerse yourself lean into your heart what you desire to do and actually then it will lead to a place for you definitely connect with Shelly everybody I'll be putting all of your details on my podcast platform and YouTube channel. Uh, it, it is not hard to find Shelly. She will definitely be able to help you uh, find your place, find your way, uh, point you in the right direction. Uh, what I have learned from this amazing conversation today too is, you know, at, the, at this stage of, of a woman who is, you know, at an elite level of her career, it's the passion to be um, globally really collaborative you know to give back to help people on their way to make sure that people at all ends of the planet are not being underrepresented or missing out you know although we often you know and I'm happy to say that from Australia you think US are, are doing certain things and owning that that's actually not true you know that's right what you shared about the investments that we often think you know how how much money was spent on this one project but we're not thinking of all of those benefits that we now benefit from, not just, you know, from the US initially, but those benefits are going global and that we all take them for granted and, and do rely on them now. And so one, appreciation and finding a way that we can be part of this story, this journey of you know, ensuring our future planet and the planets beyond are, you know, are in their optimum state and that we are being smart about how we're progressing in the future. Thank you so much for being on my program today. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm so honored to join you. I hope we can circle back in 2022 and I can share some other new stories or new opportunities or some of those uh, young people I've met and share their stories. So thank you again for inviting me. And I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts because they are excellent. I, I was sharing with you earlier that I listened to your one on changing, you know, change management and organizations. So your podcasts are very um, enlightening and no matter where you are in your career, you can learn something from your podcast thank you so much Shelley thanks so much for listening to this episode of memoirs of successful women you can find me at anniegibbons.com where you can download my free resources get connected on social and check out my online magic transformation program if you love this show feel free to subscribe to future episodes And of course, share it with your friends. I'll see you again soon. And until then, happy podcasting.